Why go to all the trouble of experiencing the great outdoors for yourself when you can listen to a few Northwest Outdoor experts yap about it? This is the Three Rivers Marine Outdoor Line with Tom Nelson, Rob Ensley, and Joey Piber on Seattle Sports Station. The Outdoor Line is brought to you by Yamaha, Sportco Outdoor Emporium, Weldcraft and Duckworth Boats, Roy Robinson RV, Kitsap Marina, Harbor Marine, Ray Marine, and Les Schwab Tires. Welcome hour to the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and Seattle Sports app. Head over to scotthaugen.com, H-A-U-G-E-N. There, you will find a wealth of information. Scott joining us now. Good morning, Mr. Haugen. How are you this Saturday? Morning, Scott. Morning, Scott. Morning, everyone. Doing great, thanks. We're kind of wondering how this blacktail season is going to materialize here in western Washington. And, and uh, believe it or not, now is kind of the time to get out and start creeping around, looking for sign and, and figuring these things out, man. What direction would you point, folks, uh, maybe looking to, to tag out on a west side blacktail, buddy? Yeah, yeah. Now's uh, definitely a good time to be out there. Uh, I'm down here in Oregon outside of Eugene, and we had a couple days of rain this uh, this week, which was excellent to be out and seeing what these deer were moving. I've, I've been scouting all summer. You know, I, I usually start right around the 4th of July. So I've been, been seeing a lot of, uh, a, a lot of deer uh, in the areas where it's been closed for the last two years because of, of the forest fires. So public access is now allowed into these areas that haven't been hunted. And I tell you, it's kind of like the good old days. It's, uh, <laughs> there, there are a lot of deer out there and, uh, a lot of wildlife. I think some of the fires where they were burning really hot uh, pushed deer into some other areas, uh, lower elevations where you know I hadn't seen them in the past, and they seem to be seem to be doing really really well right there. So we've been having cool nights down this direction. So you know, anytime uh, up your way, anytime there's a, a shift in the weather, try to get out there that that next morning and, and even in the evening if you have quite a bit of rain in the day. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of deer that are out and active. Uh, um, when, when I scout, you know, I, I, I scout from a distance. I, I don't really, uh, you know, I use a spotting scope a lot more than I do binoculars. And, and my, my number one goal with scouting is to find deer or find animals and not let them know I'm there. You know, I, I don't need to get really close to them. I don't need a closer look. I don't need to, you know, watch them for a long time. I know these blacktails are, you know, going to be homebody deer largely uh, come opening, you know, rifle season. So I'm just looking to locate deer from a long ways and, and, uh, and not be seen. Well, so Scott, you talk a little bit about starting to, to scout in July. Um, and I, I think a lot of the time guys don't want to start that early or they don't think that's the time to start scouting. They want to scout a little closer to the season, but it, you make a great point starting early like that. Those deer, when their their antlers are just starting to grow, they're going to be a little bit more visible out in the open, maybe. And you said home body deer. When you where you find them in July and August, that's where they're going to be during the season. And and if you can find those deer from a ways away, and you know they're there, that you, you you've done your job. You've done your scouting. You can sit back, go look at other country. You know you got those bucks to go after. You can come back during the season, and those deer, they're not going to go far. They're going to be living in that general area. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I have a lot of X's on the map where, 
you know, where I, where I know these things are going to be. And, and, you know, scout in the summer when they're in velvet, of course, their antlers are really sensitive. They're out in the open. They don't want to be, you know, they don't want to damage them. So uh, I'll, I will honestly see more deer, more, more good bucks, you know, scouting through July and, and early August uh, in a single day than I'll see the entire season. Uh, they just, you know, they turn so nocturnal, but you're exactly right. It, it tells you where they're at. And I'm also looking for does this time of year. You know, if you have a rifle season or a hunt coming up that's a little bit later, you know, from Halloween to into, you know, early November when the rut's going to be uh, kicking on, and especially the pre-rut too, you know, find, just find those does, mark them on a map because those bucks will be around looking for those does as well. And you don't even need to see the does. You can just find fresh doe tracks, and a lot of them, you know, they're, you know, because they'll be nocturnal too this time of year that, you know, they can yep. they can be a little nocturnal, especially with these clear nights we've had. Just find fresh tracks. Uh, you'll see yearling tracks. You know, there's bucks around. Uh, definitely a good place to hang out. Now, when they're getting rid of their velvet, they'll rub. Well, you find those rubs kind of in the same area as when they, you know, as, as where they rut a little later uh, in the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. They uh, when they rub, they don't uh, usually rub their velvet off on on like big trees. Um, you know, like like when they're rutting, a lot of times it's on smaller branches that'll it, it kind of like pile up brush. Um, I've seen seen them rub velvet and sell owl, uh, you know, um, you know, just in along, along really spindly brush piles where where you wouldn't even know that it, that it was happening. So so it doesn't look like a you know like a rut rub uh, per se. They're not going to you know work one one tree to death a lot of times. A lot of times they'll they'll rub it off on on multiple branches too. Sometimes I've watched them where they've stripped it off in in less than ten minutes and. You know, sometimes it takes them, you know, two or three days to get it all off. That's interesting because that's 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 a form of brush that will will flex a little bit and kind of get the interview. You think about those 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 deer rubbing that stuff and they can, they can feel it right, and so they kind of want something to you know that's going to wrap around their antlers a little bit. We're talking with Scott Hogan this morning, ScottHogan.com, dot com, very accomplished accomplished hunter and author, and uh, author of the the book Trophy Blacktail: Science of the Hunt. Scott, we, we talked to a lot of people when, when we're discussing fishing about, about chart study. You have to know the ground you're hunting on. And, and so there's so many apps these days to help you do that, from Google Earth to Go Hunt to Onyx. How do you approach the, 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 the concept of chart study and looking at topo maps? You know, I, I pretty much just just stick with Google Earth and and that's it. Um, it, it and, and spending time out in the field, I spend you know, have the luxury of this being my full time job, so I spend a lot of time uh, <laughs> outdoors. You know, so if if I see animals, you know, that are a mile, mile and a half away, even farther, uh, you know, then, then I'm starting to study that terrain. You know, just by being out on foot. Um, I, I, I do quite a uh, quite a bit of upland bird hunting with my dogs too, and so we, our our grouse season starts the quail season uh, September first. So so I'm I'm hunting a lot of the areas you know with them traveling areas and and uh, locations where I'll be hunting uh, you know deer uh, in, in October as well. So so I'll get out uh, you know and do a little you know bird hunting while I'm scouting and and uh, and physically just get out and cover the ground. 
it's uh, it's still one of the best ways to really learn what's out there, especially with these deer where you can get tall vegetation. Um, I have some logged units where where fires went through the, on the fringes of the fires where it didn't burn excessively hot, and you know on a map it looks great, but then you get out into that unit and you see that you know it's six foot tall fireweed and. You know, it, it's going to be almost impossible to find a deer uh, in there, even though the sign will be in there, you know. And you, and you, but when you get out physically walking it, that's when you really learn what the train is like, how much water is in the creeks, you know, what what the elevation changes, what, what direction the trails of these deer are traveling and so forth. For years and years and years, Scott, you could only find whitetail scents like doe and estrus or buck and rudd or whatever, maybe even some mule deer scents. But now you see some of the blacktail stuff on the shelves. Do you recommend... You know, guys, guys, try out any of that stuff uh, coming into the general season here? Yeah, you know, it can be really good during the rut. Um, so, so many states are now starting to make deer urine illegal. We can't use it here in Oregon uh, anymore, unfortunately. And, and I was helping develop a line of, of blacktail urine that was that was working really good right when right when this got nixed. So, you know, if you can, if, uh, you know, you can still use it in the areas where you hunt. By all means, it can it can be really good during the pre-rut and especially during the peak of the rut, uh, trying to get some of these these deer up and active. And and you know, calling and rattling can be good too. Early season, um, like doe and fawn distress calls, a lot of times will bring animals out of the brush. And uh, oftentimes you'll get does running in, and bucks are going to follow. Uh, I've never uh, killed any giant bucks in the early season doing that, but you know if you're looking to put meat in the freezer, it can be just a good way to to, to get a shot opportunity. And then of course rattling as the season goes on, usually around October 21st, 22nd, somewhere right in there is when I really start to to rattle, and that's when these deer are going to be starting to move in the pre-rut. And then I'll I'll pick that up a little bit around Halloween, right around November 4th. Uh, right in there, usually right at the end of our rifle season here in Oregon. And then, you know, if you have a later archery season, of course, it can be really good from Thanksgiving uh, into early December. So when guys are out scouting, how, how like, are, are you using cam- – I know you, you, you're a big fan of, of game cams. Are you using some type of bait or salt lick or something to get those bucks to come in? You know, if they're, if they're more nocturnal, at least – guys can get a picture of them at night coming in and, and kind of see what's around? Yeah, you know, I used to some of the private lands I used to hunt. Um, I, I used to, you know, run some run some bay here and there. I haven't in, in the last few years, three or four years. I'm just I'm just hitting trails, um, just, just trying to hit some of these uh, uh, timbered edges where I know they're moving in and out of timber and also uh, hitting some of the reprod units. A lot, a lot of the deer after these burns have... Um, Really moved into to the, the burned areas and some log units where they did a lot of um, uh, clean up logging because of the fires and the the age class now of that area is is just really really prime with food and the uh, the nutrients in the ground is high because it didn't burn too high so there's a lot of food available and a lot of these deer are moving into reprod units that are you know 12 to 15 years old uh, Douglas fir growth they're very very thick they're, it's virtually impossible to kill a deer in there but that's that's where I'm finding a lot of deer. Uh, at a little bit lower elevations than, than where I have before. So so that's where I'm running trail cameras. It's interesting, all the hundreds of blacktails I've caught on trail camera over the years, uh, I think I've only ever killed one that I, that I regularly got on trail camera, and it took me three years to get him. So so trail cameras are more of, a, more of just a, a test strip for me to see what animals are around there and give me the confidence that, okay, I know I, I, know I can go in there and there's at least going to be a buck in the area. Um, I probably won't shoot the one that I see but 
but I know that the habitat is favorable, that more bucks are going to be in there. So you made an interesting comment, Scott Haugen, coming into the segment that, that, that it's, it's kind of like the good old days, and, and it's so... <laughs> Judging blacktail populations to the average hunter is subjective. You don't know. You see some more sign and this and that. So, so are, is there a population trend that you're seeing with blacktails? Or what caused you to make that particular statement? Well, it, just having hunted them so long, you know, and, and you're just out there. You, you know, it, it's really, it's really interesting. I do quite a bit of waterfowl work as well, and um, and I'm loving doing that these days. But but you, you know, waterfowl counts are made, you know, in, in their in their nesting grounds and. And, you know, this year there's a, we took a big hit with, with um, avian influenza, especially up in Alaska. But I just came off of a, of a hunt in Saskatchewan and Alberta where those birds were working, you know, that nested up in northern Canada, which is absolutely thick. I mean, they're just, there were just thousands and thousands of birds and more showing up every day. So, you know, when you have your, your finger on the pulse of what's actually happening in the field, it can be a little bit different than what, than what um, you know, surveys tell you. Of course, they haven't done a lot of black tail surveys lately, but uh, what I really base a healthy population of black tail on is what I'm seeing in the summer. And if I can go out and, you know, see 15, you know, 20, 25, you know, good bucks in a day when I'm scouting in the summer, uh, you know, where, where I used to be seeing, you know, two or three a day, you know, yeah. pr- prior to, to the fires in some of these areas, you know, something, something's going on uh, in that in that little local population or, or in that region. And, I, and I've seen that in multiple uh, multiple places where I've scouted. So, so <laughs> you know, I, I've always felt there are more black tail out there than, than what a lot of people think. Um, but it, again, it's because I'm out there, you know, in the summer when I can, when I'm really seeing a lot of these deer, and I'm really paying attention to, you know, to the sign I see and 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 the prevalency of of fawn, of, uh, fawn recruitment, and, and and I think all of it kind of goes hand in hand. And, and what I'm seeing now is is, you know, like what I've seen back in the '70s, what I remember seeing when I was a kid. The book is Trophy Blacktails: The Science of the Hunt. Go check it out at scotthoggin.com. Scott, thank you very much for your time and expertise this morning. We sincerely hey, appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Scott. Right, Have a great weekend, man. Coming up next, yep. a critically acclaimed award-winning Northwest Outdoor Report right here on the Outdoor mm-hmm. Line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. The Northwest Outdoor Report is brought to you by Les Schwab Tires, taking your safety seriously for over 70 years. The Big Ever Co. Derby kicks off this morning at the Port of Everett. It's the largest derby on the West Coast, averaging 2,000 tickets sold per year. First place is $10,000 in cash, and there's thousands more in cash and prizes at the event. Brock Baker won the Ever Co. Derby last year with a 12.24-pound silver salmon that he caught in Marine Area 9. Money raised from ticket sales at the Ever Co. Derby supports fishery enhancement projects on the Skycomish River system. Online ticket sales closed at midnight last night. Tickets can still be purchased at Arbor Marine this morning until 8 a.m. Follow the leaderboard online this weekend at EverettCohoDerby.com. Coho Hammer and Hoochies in the South Sound. Bobby Cannon from Bomac Enterprise in Sumner says there's plenty of silvers to be had in that South Sound. They're scattered from Redondo to the Clay Banks Tacoma, and Bob said they're averaging 6 to 10 pounds, but him and a friend managed to hammer a 15-pound hook nose a couple days ago. He thinks that fishing's going to stay great until Tacoma, until those first range suck up those rivers like the Puyallup. His go-to setup's a Hoochie behind a flasher. He likes to kick up that speed to cover more water. Today is the youth waterfowl hunt in western Washington, and next Saturday, October 1st, is the youth hunt on the east side of the mountains. 
Youth hunters must be under 16 years of age and need to be with an adult over 18 years old. The Skagit River reopens for silver salmon fishing today after an emergency closure to protect Chinook salmon that are spawning in the river. Selective gear rules have been removed, but a bait and scent ban has been put in place throughout the river. The bait ban reduces the chances of encountering Chinook salmon, but still gives anglers a chance to catch silvers in the system. The river will be closed on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays from the Highway 9 Bridge and Cedar Oil to the Baker River to avoid gear conflicts with tribal fishermen in the river. Kevin John Holiday Sports in Burling says the silver fishing has been excellent in the lower Skagit and should only get better in the coming weeks. Vibrex spinners, Brad's wigglers, small spoons, and twitching jigs are all good bets right now for silvers on the Skagit. As always, check the WDFW rules online before heading out. Summer recreational crab reports due October 1st. Don't forget to turn in your summer catch crab record card by October 1st. You can either file a report online or through the wild system or mail your catch card to WDFW to avoid that $10 penalty. Make sure your card's postmarked by October 1st. Catch card data is an important tool in determining recreational crab seasons here in Washington State. Coastal razor clam digs were supposed to kick off this week, but rising toxin levels on the ocean beaches has caused the WDFW to postpone the digs. Some beaches have already exceeded the toxin level limit that makes them unsafe to eat. WDFW had scheduled for 56 days of razor clam digging, but those digs are now on hold until tests show that the razor clams are safe to eat. Here's a new one. Researchers in China just cloned an Arctic wolf, and they're hoping that genetic technology can be used to save other species under the threat of extinction. Maya the wolf was born in a laboratory in China, is in an active and healthy gray-brown pup. Scientists placed wolf DNA in the egg of a beagle, which then gave birth to Maya the wolf. It's the first time a wild animal has been cloned, and it could be a pathway to saving animals that are on the verge of extinction. The Northwest Outdoor Report has been brought to you by Les Schwab Tires. Find the best in tires, brakes, wheels, batteries, shocks, struts, and more at LesSchwab.com. That's that's a comforting little Jurassic Park news and item right there. And that's how you know Rob Inslee's back in riding the Northwest Outdoor Report. <laughs> Come up with so something like that. So if you were going to clone something, Joe, what would it be? It would be a deer or an elk. Nelly, we know what Nelly would clone, right? Would it be a chum? It'd be Spink? a keen eye, like a keen eye Chinook. Oh, man. Like he'd be Just plugging them into every river. Oh, yeah. I, we need we need 100-pound Chinook spawning mm-hmm. in mud puddles all in over the Western River. We're going to put 100-pounders in the Carbon River. They're going to build a super wolf, and yeah. then they're going to ship a whole bunch of them over here. Uh, yeah, That's lovely. true. There goes. There goes. Yeah. Um, so see World them? War Three, right there. <laughs> <laughs> Death by the, wolf. The wolf wars. There we go. Uh, CWD, chronic, chronic wasting disease, is a big issue uh, in Montana, in Idaho, and now it appear, uh, appears here as well in Washington. So WDFW dropped a press release last night indicating increased testing. It's voluntary, but I would really encourage you guys, once you harvest an animal this year, to hit a check station. You'll you'll learn some stuff from these bios, and we've talked to a, to a bunch of them um, over the years when we've had our critters tested for them too. So, so make sure, you know, uh, there, there's, there's going to be requirements eventually. And, and basically right now it's a lot of these check stations are going to be in region one, but, uh, you know, just, just be on the watch for that and, and, uh, hit WDFW.wa.gov for more information. Also a quick shout out to Bob who, who we didn't get his last name, retired Seattle fire department, just 82 years old, just, just got his elk. Really? Uh, archery elk, yeah. Nice. Out here on the west side. Right on. And a good wow. one to boot. So, you know, I've, I've yeah. seen a ton Pretty of cool. elk hitting the ground. It's been a good season for guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the bulls were talking early. Um, a lot of elk hit the ground Stable during weather. the archery season. Right? Stable weather. Yeah. Remember a couple years ago? Well, last year we were at there. was just a horrendous windstorm came through and just kind of, just kind of shut them down. Uh, it, it, you're right. It's been a solid elk season so far. It's going to probably switch for the muzzy guys. And yeah. they'll, they'll end up out there <laughs> with their smoke poles in the pouring rain. <laughs> 
It's not congrats, off- Bob. It's not often that Joey and I are the smallest guys on board the boat. We weren't even in the top three or four, dude. We we got to fish with a whole Atlanta Falcons line. Thanks to Washington uh, former UW tackle Caleb McGarry brought the whole Atlanta O-line on the boat. He's joining us next. Stay tuned. This is going to be a crack up. Caleb McGarry, Atlanta Falcons, joining us next here on the Outdoor Line. Seattle Sports Station, Seattle Sports app. Get in, sit down, hold on, and listen up. You're in the RenaissanceMarineGroup.com's wheelhouse, brought to you by Weldcraft, Duckworth, and Northwest Boats. So I'm motoring down the no-wake zone in the Everett Harbor, okay? And all of a sudden, my boat starts rocking. I'm looking to the left and the right, and there's, there's not, nobody's making a wake in the no-wake zone. Caleb McGarry is standing in the middle of my transom with a 30-foot Duckworth and making it rock just by shifting his weight. Which that, our, our boat, ne- that, that the never, boat never moves. Thanks a lot, Caleb. You just shook my whole confidence in my boat and stability, <laughs> dude. Caleb McGarry, Atlanta Falcons, former UW tackle, joining us. Um, so much fun having you guys on the boat, dude. Man, I I really can't thank you enough. That was an absolute blast. The guys have been talking about it all week. Man, that's the first time a lot of pretty much all of them catching salmon. Uh dude, that was that was just a blast. I I really can't thank you guys enough. How was dinner that night? Absolutely stellar, dude. They didn't believe me. They did not believe <laughs> me that fresh salmon is an as a whole other thing, man. And that we made believers out of all of them. Well, you had some of you, you had a, a guy for the Steve from the the coaching staff who was kind of a nutritionist. He had to call the executive chef at your team's hotel, and you got he had to sign a waiver because it wasn't a typical you know supply line type deal. But there, there's uh-huh. not a lot of things I'm supremely confident. In. I knew nobody was going to get sick eating that dude because we caught it that day. So so the executive chef of the rest, what he cedar planked that and and did a couple other things. Yeah, and- how would he cook it, man? He did he cedar he did a cedar plank on all of them, and he. Uh, there's like a brown sugar and curry, and I can't I can't remember what the other ones were, but that brown sugar and curry was absolutely incredible. I think that was the one that got hit, and <laughs> I, uh, he used like lemon lemon on it on uh, one of the other ones, and I can't remember at all the third because I was I was busy chowing down on that brown sugar and curry. Well, I love the fact that you're you're, you're getting these other O line guys with you in there to experience some of this stuff. I mean, you grew up in the woods, man, fishing and hunting in Southwest Washington. Uh, I mean, it sounds like you still do a bunch of hunting out this way, right? You, you join up with your dad and your brother and stuff and then still hunt out here in the Northwest? Yeah, whenever I get the chance, man. Mm-hmm. I, uh, You know, unfortunately, I'm busy during pretty much all of deer and elk season, so that kind of puts a hole in, you know, the deer woods for me. But uh, that's all right. When I get back, you know, I get a, a spring turkey and spring bear. So I, I get out whenever I can. So coming into the trip, you know, we hadn't met, you hadn't been on the boat, and the guys kind of didn't know what to expect. But uh, uh, so tell us a little bit about what you thought was going to happen versus what happened out on the water, because we, we we got your guys' rods bent pretty good that day. <laughs> you know, uh, I haven't I haven't been on a lot of guide boats, so you know, I I wasn't really sure what to expect. I figured we'd we'd get out there, and you know, it'd be a I mean, I certainly didn't think the boats would be as nice as they were. Those those are those are vessels of your guys that are gorgeous, man. Uh, you know, I figured we'd get out there and there'd be a couple fish throughout the day, but I wasn't you know, I was certainly wasn't expecting for us to haul in what what we what was the total, fourteen or sixteen salmon? Yeah. <laughs> it was and, awesome. And probably hooked twice that. I mean it was just they were coming oh, unglued on us, man. Yeah. 
Well, and you guys, awesome. you guys did. Tom and I fish with a lot of a lot of folks. You know, we take all our friends and and people from the radio show, and you guys did really well landing fish. I mean, better than the average. You know what I think it is? These guys were so big that they could, you know, the leverage on the rod, like. They were able to keep the yeah. rod tight, rod tips up. You guys did a great job, man. Are Most they coachable? You're yeah. saying they were coachable? You know what? Football yeah. players are always coachable. <laughs> so now we, and, was, we're, and Tom and I are kind of afraid to yell at him like oh normal no. people. Oh, no. Was Tom yelling at you? I guarantee he was yelling at you the whole time. Was he screaming at you, buddy? Well, you're used to that, though, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I get, I get much worse. I didn't but, yell at you guys. He, he, Come on, man. He's a ray of sunshine. <laughs> oh. So did he trade in off any, like, false starts or anything for this fishing trip? Did you have to, like, give you know trade anything off on Sunday to, to go on this trip or anything, buddy? You know, uh, I, I had to make some very uh, some very exclusive offers. But, you know, eventually, eventually we got permission. We, we, got, we, ended up, we ended up getting a signed jersey out of you, but uh, it cracked me up, man, because I did not. I knew these guys were going to come hungry, right? So we had we had the the elk brats, we had the deer salami, we had the smoked salmon on there, and then I went and got a couple dozen, a couple dozen fresh bagels, right? Actually, two three dozen. And you guys mowed that twenty stuff. pounds of bacon, dude. I'm you telling know, four you, four dozen yeah. eggs. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, definitely, definitely mowed that stuff down. So, so you love hunting, man. I mean, and you do a bunch of fishing too. Uh, you know, if you had one place in the world you could go hunting, where would it be? Would it be right here at home with your family, or what would you do, man? Oh boy, that's you know, it, it probably would be It'd be right here mm-hmm. in Washington because there's just so there's so much diversity uh, in game. You know, mm-hmm. we got. Uh, we got moose, we got black bear, we got what three sub, three species of deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got three species of turkey. We got different uh, species of grouse. We got pheasant. Chuck, I mean, we got we, we got, got it everything, all. man. It, and the fishing is you know, almost unparalleled. Do you have so. a favorite game animal to chase? You, are you an elk guy? You know, you like hunting bears. I, I love hunting bears. So you, what's your favorite thing to chase? Boy. That's tough. I haven't gotten to go elk hunting yet, just because of football and you know the timing's just never been right. Um, so I can't, I, I can't, you know, give a, you know, hundred percent answer. But I think, I think right, right now it's definitely bear. I think uh, my love is definitely bear hunting. Um, although I really, I really enjoy pheasant hunting uh, with my dad and my brother because that's that's a lot of fun. You're out there with your dogs and, you know, just you and the guys kind of wandering around waiting for something to fly up and you're just... Do you, do, you, do you use a gun or do you just swat them out of the air? <laughs> no, what the heck, dude? <laughs> well, actually, I have this uh, really, really nice, wide, long-handled frying pan. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I pack around. So uh, g- give Caleb McGarry a follow on Twitter, and, and uh, one of your tweets this week was you standing on you know your native your native habitat, the UW uh, home field there, Husky Stadium, and uh, you guys are the Atlanta Falcons are that's that's your practice field this week, right? So what's what's the rest of this weekend look like for you? Meetings tonight, and then what time you got to be at the stadium? Because you, you know you started off the week Tuesday catching coho, and you're going to be blocking Seahawks tomorrow. So what, what's the rest of uh, the weekend look like for you? Rest of the weekend, you know, it's pretty simple. We're down to crunch time now, so it's you know meetings, final uh, trimming of details, you know, cleaning up little things up here and there, uh, going over finer points of the game plan, and you know, then just w- wake up and be ready to rock and roll tomorrow. 
Well, I, I got to admit, I'm a, little, I'm a little bit torn, right? You know, growing up around here, I've always been kind of a Seahawks fan. But after <laughs> after after meeting you guys, you sell know, out. a He's little a bit, a little out, bit, Caleb. just a little well, and, bit. And what about what about, what about you, Caleb? Yeah, I mean, you're you're a local you're a local boy. I mean, you got to be a Seahawks yeah, fan know. too, right? <laughs> So uh, if, if, uh, if you see a, if you see a Caleb McGarry jersey tomorrow at the Everett Code Derby, that will be me. It'll be, it'll be Joey Pyburn. I'm going to get some blood on that jersey tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks, man. One I of these it. days, one of these days, it. we're going to get you in a duck blind or something out here and and uh, get you out shooting some geese or ducks with us. In the meantime, good luck at the game tomorrow, man. And and thanks so much for jumping on with us this morning. Uh, read a bunch about you and stuff, and and we really look forward to spending some time in the woods or on the water with you, man. You sound like uh, our kind of guy, buddy. Appreciate it, guys. Likewise, man. I'd love that. All right, dude. All right. Good well, luck good, tomorrow, yeah, buddy. Good luck tomorrow, and, and, and stay in touch, Caleb. You take care, buddy. Thanks, fellas. You, right. you guys, too. Later, right. brother. Thanks for your time, man. All right. Coming up next, the hottest tip we heard all week and the techniques you need to succeed. It's Roy Robinson, RV.com's Really? Where? And it's next here on the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. No way. you got to be kidding me. Really? Where? It's coming back. The island is sending the lady. Where'd you get him, man? No way. You, you, you gotta tell me. I, I, I'm not gonna tell anybody. Ocean Journey Hey, man, can you tell me where you got him? I'll never put on a life jacket again. Welcome to RoyRobinsonRV.com's Really? Where? Where? RoyRobinsonRV.com will take you anywhere. Really? It's time to step up to the number one Winnebago dealer in the Northwest. That's Roy Robinson RV and their all-new facility up at Smoky Point. You're going to find a complete line of Class A's, Class B's, Super C's, Travel Trailers, 50 Wheelers, Tour Haulage, Pop-Ups, Campers, and so very, very much more. Go see them all in person today at the Evergreen Fall RV Show at the Evergreen State Fairgrounds in Monroe. That starts today and ends tomorrow. Show opens at 10 o'clock right there. Or go check them out online at RoyRobinsonRV.com. From Port Endless to Point Defiance and beyond, it's got to be the Puget yeah. Sound. Coho run coming in strong right now. Uh, of course, the Ever Coho Derby going on this weekend. I don't know how many tickets have been sold. They average about 2,000 tickets a year on that event. And they say tickets are off a little bit this year, but uh, still, there's going to be a lot of boats on the sound hitting these Coho. And there's been a bunch of boats out there the last couple of weeks. Uh, and everybody's catching fish, man. It's been rock solid. You guys, of course, have been out there almost every day. So I'm going to kind of throw this off to you, Joe, and get people pointed in the right direction on how to put some of these things in the boat here this morning. Like we talked about earlier in the show, it's two downriggers. If you got three guys on the boat, it's two downriggers. In the early morning, start high. Run your gear back behind the boat 30, 40 feet. Get it back their ways. Run one at 35. Run one at 15. And then run a, run a shotgun rod or a whiskey rod. The whiskey out the run back. a whiskey yeah. pole. Uh, and and if you got two, you got four guys on the boat. Run two of those things out there, mm-hmm. and run mm-hmm. one with an eight ounce and one with a four ounce, and move them around in the in the water column a little bit. Um, if I'm not getting bit on that that whiskey rod, I will just go back there and let another twenty feet of line out, get it back a little bit further behind the boat, or bring it right up by you know behind the wash. Um, and then uh, we've been running anchovies behind flashers just because. Like I said, I'm a I'm a one trick pony. I love running those anchovies. They just catch everything. But we but, we've, we've kind of been doing some different flasher colors though too. So uh, we went to away. we yeah. went to a blue board and a, bl- and a black board. Mm-hmm. And I I just a lot of guys were telling me they're they're switching to that black board. Black with a mirror. What kind of finish? Yeah, yeah. it's like that moon yeah. jelly finish. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, reflects um, a lot of light, basically. And, you know, guys are running that with that typical white and green blinky that I like, and the, the blackboard was out fishing. And now you had some hoochie colors that looked sweet, man. I was checking yeah, out some of your just, stuff. Really good-looking stuff. You had a uh, like a pink UV with a ASI fly stuffed up, a blue one on the inside, and then some glow, like orange, and, and just and, glow beads. And with, I mean, it was, it was that was a sexy-looking hoochie, dude. With, with and Co- they were hitting it. With coho, you need a red bead in the stack. And, and, and if you, you know, we, we, we should just do a better – got to do a blog on, on hoochie setups, right? Because it, it's so absolutely key. And if you don't have bait on the, on the boat this morning, you're not lost, but you do need to run a hoochie, and you need to run them tight. If you're fishing more than two flasher lengths behind a hoochie, they're probably too long. And one of the things that, that, that you saw probably for the first time on the boat were those Simon releases by Hawk and Tackle. And they're a magnetic release that just takes the flasher out of the equation. And I haven't seen any disadvantage to using those at all. It enhances the fight of the Anytime fish. Anytime you can detach that flasher from the leader, it's a, it's a funner fight. And I just feel like you're, you're going to lose less fish. It's, it's an easy... How many times do you see the, the, the fish coming up? The flasher's dragging. You got yeah. a little bow in your line. The flasher pops out of the water, and people go, oh, oh I lost yeah, it. Yeah, they drop the yeah. rod tip. And, and then they do and lose And then it. the flasher gets sideways. Yeah. yeah. And it just deadens the fight, you it know? It does. Uh, I'm definitely going to check those out for next year. And, and uh, what Oki makes one called the far better flasher, too. With yeah, a but here's, on it. so here's my issue. It's got a pin, though. Yeah, and here's my, well, here's one of my issues. You have a lot of <laughs> issues. We don't have enough time my to issues, get I want to buy. Phil. I want to buy a flasher. <laughs> I want the, to get a certain color, and then I want to put this on there. I don't mm-hmm. want to have to have a specialty yeah, flasher yeah. because there's going to be applications. There's going to be times maybe I don't want to run that, or maybe I can't find a flasher in the particular finish and, that, and that's one of the things that you and i've been doing quite a bit of this season is is swapping flasher colors out i just want to add this right to a flasher because if you have to go buy a brand and have a specific flasher to have that release it, it's not it's not going to work out as well for you um don't put us in a box don't Rob. yeah just don't want my own flash no but but the other thing is God, you guys are so many oh, so, so many of the fish we caught this week all right, we're fishing two downriggers, and most of the strikes came on the came on the whiskey rod. Well, I'll tell you what, a couple of most buddies of are out this week, and they're not even running their downriggers. No. They're just running like you two, three cup to. plugs out yes. behind the boat, four ounce sinkers, yeah, and they're not running an eight ouncer. Uh, eight ouncer is great. That's a that's bad. Great. But that's when a bad you when you drop that sucker down, you're going to free spool it. Right, yeah. and it's going to go right into those shallow downriggers. You better be very careful free spooling that sucker out if you're running eight yeah. ounces. Mm-hmm. Most people listening right now are going to run three, maybe even two to five ounce sinkers, kidney sinkers on there, and, and run chartreuse. Yeah. Because those coho love those chartreuse sinkers. They'll get up there and they'll be whirling around looking at that thing. And here's your bait right there, and they'll turn around and whack it. And, and another thing that we were, we were playing around with is the distance behind the flasher. With, with with Chinook, sometimes you, you want to run it way, way back. Or sometimes you, if you're fishing deep, you want to run it tight. But but with, with Coho in particular, we were running those flashers right behind the ball because the glow balls, those tin shed marine, you know, coated glow balls have an attraction component to them too. And so if they're not, if they're going to strike short, you can run it tighter behind the flasher. And then that fish has less room that, that he can move before he's going to experience that tension and get hooked. Yeah, I was running it six feet. Yeah. 
and I I rarely do that for Chinook. Yeah. Um, and but the deeper I went, the tighter I kept it to that glow ball. That I, that's got to be a major attractor down there. Those glow balls, I'm telling you, man. Yeah, I get to experiment over a lot of fish in Southeast Alaska, yep. and those things, I don't know what the deal is. Even in shallow water, where the glow factor isn't even a factor, those things catch. I, I would say it's at least double. The, you know, the other side on the non-glow side. And I've done it. I mean, I've, I've experimented for summers, like two, three summers in a row. Glow on this side, standard downrigger ball on the other side. And those those tin shed marine glow balls, they definitely work. And he's got some proprietary coating process that he puts on there where that stuff Top doesn't come off stuff. unless yeah. you break the ball off. And that's that's, that's the it. only way you're getting that that's stuff That's it. Off. Joey, Joey bangs his balls into the dirt all summer long. And, and, and still, you just can't really take that stuff off of there. Yeah. Even up but, in Sitka, but, dragging yeah. it through the rocks. Yeah, yeah for sure. So, so the, but the thing is, with, with coho and really any other species, everything you put down there has an attraction or repellent capacity to it, right? And just those those glow balls and, and the distance you have things back, man, don't, you, you know, and, and even your releases, keep those clean as well. If you're letting those things drag in the dirt and you're stomping them, you know, on the deck and stuff like that, man, start clean. At least Do you ever clean, clean yours? Do you actually take I, them home I, and I, take a scrub brush and some soap and clean I, your releases? I put them in soapy, I put them in soapy <laughs> water. We, yeah, they're, okay. we, we have that Procure pump soap. That on the stuff boat. is sweet. Yeah. I use it on my hands yeah. all the time. Anytime, yeah. like sometimes I'll get some, some goo, some... Anchovy yeah. gel on mm-hmm. my clip, yep. and then you got to go squirt some so, of that soap yeah. in there and get them clean. We up. had a day at Buoy Ten that we couldn't get, we couldn't catch either one of our butt cheeks in a fish hatchery, and people are freaking whacking fish all around. That afternoon, I took apart the cleaning table, I took everything off there, I cleaned everything. I add, actually added a couple zincs because we had to take the fin zinc off to run the Shero props, right? Yep. So re-zinc the motors and clean everything, and then it was just absolutely hammer time. You can get a funkification going on the back of your boat, and you don't know what it is. But if you look for those little science projects that stink, get them off your boat. For sure. We had a question here for Joe uh, on the text toy uh, about fillet knives. What kind of fillet knife do you like to so use? I, I know on, what I like, but I know you got a couple you really yeah, like. Yeah, I jumped on Dexter.com. Go check them out. The 9-inch Sani Safe Flexible. Yeah. That's like a long, yeah. skinny blade. Mm-hmm. You can really do some work with, with those With a spoon things. on it or no? That's n- no spoon on that one, but mm-hmm. then also you want to get the the 6-inch. It's a little shorter blade little with a spoon. It's called the cut and gut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, those They're, are key. Dude, I, I don't know how many fish I've motored through this summer, but... Yeah. Those knives and they're easy to sharpen. They, they cut. You can get their sharpener. Yeah. So I always have two knives. I've got a gillen knife. Yeah. Because you don't want to run your fillet knife through the gills or or so your got, or your cut plug knife. I've got a gillen yeah. knife. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I've got three knives. I've got yeah. one yep. for cutting bait, one for gilling fish, and then I don't clean many fish. They go to a processor right. and they get clean. But when we do, you know, we're usually cleaning like chums or pinks later in the summer. I've got a fillet knife sitting there that's really sharp, and I hit them with the work sharp mm-hmm. every uh, maybe once a week. I run them, I buzz them through the work sharp. It takes maybe I don't know three minutes, five minutes at the most to get them sharp again. If you want the absolute best edge ever. Check out one of these warthog sharpeners. Really? Oh my goodness! We're talking razor hmm. sharp. So use the work sharp to get them down there. Uh, and you actually with the work sharp too, you can get them razor sharp yeah. just by running different belts. But hit, check that warthog out. Our fish processor Kaylee uses that, and her knives she can blow through a thousand pounds in a night because a ton of boats drop off to her. And her knife is still working at the end of the year. I, I so. still like a broad bladed butcher knife for doing ribs because that broader knife. Will line up with the flesh a little so, bit more, and you're less less apt to dig yeah, into the which, meat. Yeah, which Dexter has that, yes. that broad blade. That's a, and it's a fish when I'm butcher. doing big chinook, yeah. I'll run through the ribs yeah. and then remove the the ribs sure. after. 
Um, but with these Toho, man, I like I like taking them and filleting yeah. them all the way down. And that, well, uh, you you do a great job. But it's 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 the same thing with the salmon it is with a big game animal. You owe it to these animals to get every scrap of meat you possibly can. And I just can't abide that you know waste. And plus, they taste so dog. Well, there's this something coho- about there's this something about filleting fish and yeah. getting this perfect right. beautiful fillet i knew that when i filleted those fish out for for the guys and they were going to take them back down yeah you know to the so, chef yeah, it's like the they got this beautiful right. fillet and and it, yeah there's something you know there's like very satisfying it's a, it's a source of pride it's, it's <laughs> a, yeah. i'm always trying to match what kaylee does a gal that, that oh, does all yeah, our fish and yeah. and i just never quite get there but it's always in the back of my mind to make it just look perfect yeah you know and yeah. uh, there's something about that and you're right now a lot of pride it absolutely, that, man, so. for sure. Yeah. Uh, Joey Pyburn will be on stage tomorrow at the Everco Derby to help out, give that first first place prize of $10,000 away. That's brought to you by Everett Bayside, Harbor Marine, Roy Robinson RV Center. Of course, our friends at John Sporting Goods help out with that at all. You have exactly six minutes to get your derby tickets there at Harbor Marine and Everett. I hope you're out there catching them right now, though, too. So uh, Good luck to all the kids out duck yeah, hunting today, too. No waterfall, the no youth doubt. waterfall opener. Thanks to Matt Nelson running the board. Uh, give us a follow on social media, at Rob Ensley, at Joe Pyburn on Instagram, at The Outdoor Line on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For Matt Nelson behind the glass, Joey Pyburn, Rob Ensley, I'm Tom Nelson. This has been The Outdoor Line on Seattle Sports Station and the Seattle Sports app.